Hello and welcome to Keith and Mike Watch Deep Space Nine, a new Deep Space Nine episode by episode review done by me, Keith Varney, and my buddy, Mike, Mike and Deglio, who has never seen the show and knows almost nothing about Star Trek. So I'm going to guide him through the legendary series star trek deep space nine today we are talking about season one episode one emissary it is the pilot for deep space nine it is the pilot for us so as we gave them a little bit of rope to play with to sort out what they wanted to be doing and their technical difficulties and characterization please do the same for us uh mike how's it going are you excited to begin the journey of deep space nine I am excited. Let's acknowledge first that I we got the re- the intro correct. We did. It almost almost took us uh, about forty five minutes <laughs> yeah, to practice long. the cues. So but we're going to tighten that up. That you'll learn is part of our joie de vivre. We like to overdo it if it can be overdone. And I'm ex- super excited, Keith. I want to say I have nothing against Star Trek. I okay. just none of my friends growing up watched the show. It wasn't something that was in our zeitgeist. I have a passing familiarity with the universe, obviously from the original series, which I didn't really watch. But Next Generation was my, if I was home from sick, home sick from school, I would watch the show. So I have a familiarity with the characters. And then of course, on our channel here, we also have another show, Look at My Star Trek Toys, where Keith is walking me through his collection of Playmates, uh, four, four inch-ish scale figures. 4.5. There's a there's a lot of controversy about the size of the figures, Mike. <laughs> well, that's something we can dissect in the other show, and we do. <laughs> uh, so I have actually, uh, I found a bit of an informed viewing of the pilot today because some of the figures you showed me have been from the series, so it was fun to connect those dots. But last thing I want to say is one thing we've been really enjoying in the other show, Keith, is sort of just taking a nostalgic trip and remembering a, a a simpler time for us. And one thing that uh, you had mentioned on that show, and a lot of our viewers who are uh, familiar with the channel, have mentioned to me, as we discuss the Star Trek universe, is that it's an optimistic look mm-hmm. at science fiction. And uh, just because of what's been going on in life, the world, and everything, I'm looking forward to a show that is optimistic, that is forward-looking, forward-thinking, and... Uh, is steeped in collaboration, which is something I think the world needs right now. And so I'm excited to sort of check it out, not only for uh, the soul, but also to get involved in the Trek universe, which up to this point for me, I've wanted to jump in, but sometimes the enormity of how much has already been there and trying to catch up seems impossible. So just taking a swing and jumping in at a point that that has been pre-selected for me by a a person who uh, knows... The entirety of it is uh, I'm excited. Well, I, I'm and I'm excited to to show it to you. You know, you come here for an optimistic view, version of the uh, future and collaboration, and I'm going to take you into the uh, uh, the darkest, most pessimistic Star Trek series out there. Okay. Well, <laughs> but I, but I also think it is uh, some of the uh, greatest storytelling out there. Um, so. Why did we choose Deep Space Nine? Why didn't we start with uh, Next Gen or the original series? Uh, lots of answers. One, um, 
we're of the generation where this was our first run shows the you know the the next gen deep space nine voyager were the shows that we were or i was watching as a kid so that's where my touchstone was and uh you know next gen i mean obviously i'm but I, I love next gen beyond all sorts of things but i wanted to start with what what, what are you doing over on my side i was opening the window i didn't realize it would create such a this even this is weird for me because I'm the top layer. What, 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 what's, boundaries, boundaries. <laughs> you know what? I don't deserve to be the top layer, Keith. No, no. You get get to the back layer where you okay, should right. be. There we go. <laughs> um, but mainly, uh, there's a lot of next gen material out there. I mean, it's it's the iconic Star Trek show, um, and I feel like Deep Space Nine sometimes gets relegated to the sort of dark you know, younger sibling of Next Gen. And I really want to talk about it. I've talked about Next Gen with lots of folks, but I'm really excited to talk about Deep Space Nine. Now, how uh, late so, did this spin off? Just to inform me a little bit. Well, I'll tell you exactly. This episode aired on January 3rd, 1993, which coincided with season six of Star Trek The Next Generation. So this uh, episode aired between Chain of Command and Ship in a Bottle. Um, so it's near the end of Next Generation. They were sort of planning what's next as they were finishing up Next Gen um, after seven seasons because they wanted to hop into the movies, which, of course, they did. They needed to have something to, to take the mantle. So they conceived of Deep Space Nine. Obviously, a very different show, different location. It's the first Star Trek show not on a ship. It's the first Star Trek show without even a captain. Uh, Cisco is a commander, not a captain to begin with. Um, so it was a big leap. And it was, you know, obviously was a, a show that took place in one location as opposed to infinite worlds and infinite diversity. So it was a big swing and it was very different, um, both tonally and the look of it. And we'll talk about that as we get into the show. Um, so basically the way this show is going to work is I'm going to give a little bit of information about the time and place and some trivia and some guest stars. And then Mike and I, we're going to just talk our way through the show. We're going to show screenshots as we go. We're going to format it sort of by act, um, meaning the time between the commercial breaks is, you know, it's act one and then the commercial break and it's act two, so on and so forth. Uh, and we'll try to start out with some structure. It's not going to work. Uh, but we're basically just going to have a free-flowing conversation about what we're uh, what we saw. And then we'll hand out some little fake awards at the end and be done with it. So uh, the intros will not usually be this long. If you're bored at this point, skip ahead to the episode because we're we're about to get there. Um, but uh, anyway, to give some, uh, some more information about what was happening here on January 3rd, 1993, the uh, top song, I Will Always Love You, Whitney Houston. Mike, can you give us a little of I Will Always Love You? <laughs> We didn't pay for those rights, Keith. No, no, so no, that's we all didn't. We're get. No, no, that's 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 good. We're sitting a little too close for belting. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the Should've top movie. Yeah, warning. I know, right? Oh, I did set you up. It's it's my fault. The top movie was Aladdin. Uh, might give us some Aladdin. No new. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> That's going to be a mess we're going to return to. Keith and I discussed how differently the tone of this show would go mm -hmm. compared to other things we've done. Other <laughs> Instantly, nonsense. we've it's, proven not a possibility. Still yeah. us. That's what we're going to do. 
The uh, headline of the New York Times this day was Bush arrives in Moscow to sign nuclear arms treaty with Boris Yeltsin. You know what? We're, this isn't a time capsule, but obviously it's different now. All right, so let's talk about this episode, the pilot of Deep Space Nine, which was a two-parter. Uh, it aired as a feature length the first time it happened, and then a subsequent serialization, it was cut into two episodes, part one and part two. So we're going to break in part one and part two and release them separately like you would uh, if you saw it on your TVs. So this was directed by David Carson, who directed four episodes of Next Gen, uh, four episodes of Deep Space Nine, and directed Star Trek Generations, uh, not long after this happened. This show was written by series creators Rick Berman and Michael Piller, with a teleplay by Michael Piller and a story by the two of them. And uh, there's endless interesting trivia about these about this show uh, that you can find out on, uh, on IMDb or on... Um, various other sites, but I, I just picked three just because I think they're interesting before we get into it. And uh, for those of you who, I'm sure most people know this, but the character of Kira was originally going to be Ensign Roe Laren from The Next Generation, played by Michelle Forbes, and they sort of feed, wrote the original version of the show around her and her character, because she's Bajoran, and, and of course the show takes place uh, next to Bajor, but Michelle Forbes didn't want to do a six-year contract, so they mm. decided, so they created the character of Kira, um, which has some similarities and some differences from the character of Ensign Rowe. Uh, number two, and we will show you this, uh, if you look at Quark, in the first episode, he looks a little weird, right? It's Armin Shimmerman, it's all the makeup, but something's a little off. And that is because his nose, the appliance that they put on his nose as a Ferengi, uh, wasn't finished when they were big when they were shooting the pilot. So they had to borrow Max Grodenchik's Rom's nose and use it for the pilot. So uh it's subliminal, but when you see them back to back, like that's not Quark's nose. That's why he looks a little weird in the pilot. So uh, there you go. And my last piece of trivia for this episode: this uh, my uncle was emanated was emanated was nominated for an Emmy for this show. My uncle was the supervising sound effects editor for uh, Next Gen, Deep Space Nine, Voyager, and Enterprise. Uh, so uh, it was obviously a, an episode I was pretty excited to watch because my uncle Jim had been uh, working on it, creating the world of sound. Let me. Just jump ahead with it without having told you this will come up in my notes. But I'm since you brought it up here, one of the main bold notes I took was how great the sound design is in establishing a world and establishing an ongoing technological life on the ship. And it's really it's really panned well and orchestrated well. I just that's a note I had. I knew your family had worked on it, but I didn't know specifically it was this. But yeah, this this was excellent. Well, uh, I I will I will pass along. Uh, he doesn't care. I, he, he, he he profoundly does not care. Uh, but yeah, well, I mean, we'll talk more about it. But having to after having created the sound world of the Enterprise, the Enterprise D, and there's so many layers of sound that make that iconic, you can instantly recognizable. Well, when you go to a different Federation ship, you can reuse a lot of those sounds. 
but mm. now we're on a Cardassian space station. And so all of the beeps and boops and computer noises have to be Cardassian versions, not Federation. So uh, the, the transporters, the doors, the computer, it all has to sound different. And so they had to create, much like the visual effects did and the set design, it's not a Federation uh, space station. So everything's going to be a little bit different. So, last piece of information about this episode uh, are the, the guest stars. We have some great, uh, amazing, recurring guest stars for this, including Camille Saviola as Kai Opaka, Felicia M. Bell as Jennifer Sisko, Mark Alimo as Gal Dukat. We'll see a lot of him. Aaron Eisenberg as Nog. Max Grudenchik as Rom, although billed as a Ferengi pit boss because the character of Rom had not been fleshed out yet. And uh, Magel Barrett, of course, as the voice of the computer. And, interestingly, J.G. Hertzler, not as Martok, but as a Vulcan captain on, on Cisco's original ship. So we, we're already sort of getting into it. So I think it is time for us to beam into the viewing room and uh, start talking about the teaser of Deep Space Nine. It's pretty... Uh, Pretty exciting. The first moment of the first new series after the next generation. And uh, here's what happens on the teaser. Flashback to Wolf 359. Cisco is first officer of a ship destroyed by the Borg, led by Locutus uh, Picard. His wife, Jennifer, dies, but he saves his son, Jake. Cisco is pissed. Three years later, Cisco meets Jake in the holodeck. He's taking command of a space station. It's Deep Space Nine. So uh doesn't sound that exciting as I'm uh, as I'm running the teaser. But uh, if you uh, watch the episode, there's lots of cool stuff happening. Um, starting off with a, a scroll, which we don't really see very often um, mm -hmm. on on Star Trek, but we had to do a fair amount of exposition and and Mike, uh You've already mentioned here. There's some exposition that you uh, you didn't know because you hadn't seen. Uh, uh, so so, Mike, give us your impression. You know uh, of the of the first battle with the Borg and and uh, and Cisco tr trying to save his wife and son. Blah blah blah. Hey, talk for a second. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, you should know, Keith, that I have documented a video form of me actually watching the episode. I uh, put it in the vault. Maybe at some point we'll release it. <clears throat> uh, because I, I wanted to capture in real time, like we do in our other show, I'd never watched this before, and so it's my first instincts. And one thing, I've heard the name Loquacious before, I, I maybe for you. <laughs> oh, wait, I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. Could you, could you give the name? Locutus? There you go. Yeah. Who, is, who is not known for being loqu loquacious. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is how my brain works, folks, so dial in. Uh, also, let's not speak, Keith. I know that a lot of people coming to the show will have watched it before, or or are Trek fans, but not exclusively. I believe I will I will attract people of my elk who have never watched before. <laughs> do, do you find yourself typically attractive, Mike? <laughs> Anyhow, <laughs> I didn't know. I had not heard or seen the episode. Apparently, where Picard becomes part of the Borg, and so this was news to me. And yeah, I mean, I was flabbergasted and it raised all kinds of questions. And I wondered if they would answer them here. How did he become that way? Not important to us now, but does he get better? I imagine so. Uh, he must. But regardless, he goes on and like kills this dude's wife. 
He sure does. Yeah. Like, that blood is on his hands in well, some ways. sort of. Yeah. Sort it, of. It, I guess my point is I'd be pissed is what I was thinking at this point. If I'm, if I, if I'm, if I'm our new guy. And I thought that the opening, uh, the, my first few notes, even in this very, at the top here is how much money it looked like was on the screen. This didn't look yes. like a, a cheeky, uh, and cheesy television pilot. This looked like a, it was shot like a feature film it felt. It had a very feature film vibe. Well, absolutely. I mean, it had a huge budget too, uh, and well, you know, I'll, I'll talk about it a little bit for part two. Um, but spoiler alert: uh, they spent a great deal of money on this episode. Um, and just to just to fill you in, I can I can hear uh, fans screaming, "You haven't seen Best of Both Worlds?" Because um, it's it's kind of a yeah, it's kind of a biggie. Probably the most famous episode of possibly Star Trek. Period. Okay. Um, was the two-parter from season three to season four, best of both worlds from uh, the next generation. So yes, uh, very briefly without, I don't want to spoil too much for Mike because he should probably just watch that. That's fun. Uh, but yes, Picard uh, is captured by the Borg and Borgified as Locutus and is leading the uh, the attack of the cube um, and Wolf 359 is famous in Trek lore and in start and sort of Star Trek history as the Federation tried to battle the cube and they sent the they sent every every ship they had, right? And the cube just obliterated them all. And so this happened in the best of both worlds. So this flashback, we're seeing sort of a side piece of information from the next gen to find out that Cisco was a part of this battle. Um battle, they just basically got their asses kicked. So uh, it's a it's a great way to tie in, and you know, for the next gen fans, it's an Easter egg for the next gen fans to have this mm -hmm. character have this, um, you know, tragic start, which is always a great place to start from a with, with a character uh, from a writing standpoint, um, and uh, it's interesting here to have him have a son, right? Because Picard doesn't have kids, never had kids, never liked kids. That was part of the defining part of his care of his character. And so your next lead of the Star Trek show not only likes kids, but has a kid. Um, and so he has, he has Jake there. Uh, so, you know what? I could be showing you these things. I, I forgot about our, our screenshots here, you, but you, here we you, have you a wield shot. a lot of power. I, I have so much power. So that's JG Hertzler, um, as the captain of Cisco's ship. Um, but as a Vulcan captain, soon, eventually, to become the iconic character of Martok. Uh, but you can see some of the money they put into the show here with these battle scenes. Um, and they had to recreate a lot of the stuff from Best of Both Worlds. We're seeing, we didn't really see the Battle of Wolf 359 on Next Gen, mainly because they didn't have the budget to do it. And so here we're able to actually show some of it. And at this point, these aren't, this isn't CGI. These are actual mm -hmm. models that they had to build and create so cool. and put together. And obviously, is there a cooler look for Picard than Lucutus? I mean, it's so badass. Um, and you can sort of see how devastating the Borg cube was. Um, and then, you know, it's a it's such an action-packed way to begin the show. So what did you think of, like, the sort of the the action sequence here of Cisco trying to, you know, the, the bridge blowing up and, and trying to save his wife. Well, it wasn't totally out of nowhere for me because I'm familiar with that character through the toy show. 
Uh, so <laughs> I kind of knew who he was, but I thought that what I thought was cool was <clears throat> how they used action to get us, they used the action to sort of sum up a lot of the details and set up the world without having to go through a ton of like verbal or, or uh, scroll exposition. So I thought it was, right. a re- I, what I wrote down, what I, I felt was that it was a really great emotional uh, introduction to the world without talking, without so much, uh, it's, it, it's, you know, it's very universal there. Blow it up, my family, here's my kid, my, my what I assumed was his wife got killed. Yep. So I, I thought it was a cool emotional, emotional stake set quickly. Yeah. So and and you said I will a tragic... say I mean yeah, we're, we're being we're we're keeping it hundred percent on the show, right? Yeah. Okay. Of course. I also had my first worry. I oh, felt okay because I'm introduced real quickly to our new our new uh, commander whose speech pattern belies. I thought, oh no, is he going to be bad? Like, he's going to be a bad actor. And kid kid actors are very challenging too. And Jake didn't mm-hmm. give me the initial strongest kind of vibe. So I was, those are, that's my feelings. I like the world. I like the stakes. I'm a little skeptical of our, of potentially two of our main characters. Okay. All right. Well, I, 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 I totally see that. It's, you know, it's tough. It's a pilot. I mean, there's, there's exactly. a lot that you're having, you're having to do there. I, I think you will, I, I, I imagine that your uh, concerns will be, yeah, will will be uh, addressed. I don't think you're gonna have to worry about that. Um, but yes, I, I no, I totally get it. So while we're moving forward here, so we hop forward uh, three years, and uh, we're on the holodeck, and we have our first sort of father son scene where we see uh, Jake here, uh, you know, concerned about moving on to a space station in the middle of nowhere. Um, and, uh, what did you feel sort of about the father son dynamic there? I liked it. I, I mean, I can, it's, there's a lot of universal relatability, you know, you, uh, it's the parental thing and you've lost a parent. I've lost a parent. So I actually kind of get the, the bond you have with your remaining parent <clears throat> and any kid. It's like to go, <laughs> it's bad enough moving to a new school, uh, let alone, uh, moving to the middle, uh, a space station. So I, I thought it was cool. And I thought the use of the holodeck here was cool. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm in. Let's go. Okay. Well, let us move forward to Act One. So uh, after our, uh, we have our opening credits. What did you think of the uh, of the opening credits? Oh, you, uh, on the on the, on, I was singing all along. I it very cool. I, not, I not our opening credits. Their opening credits. No, no, no. I was singing along when the show started. <laughs> it's, it's very very catchy and very like uh, like I said, the money is on the screen, man. I I love the next gen opening, but this was like we have to we have to be different we have it's very cinematic yeah no it's i i love that it's 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 exciting without being frantic Mm -hmm. and it sets it up that the i don't know has weight to it right and i i I love the i love the intro it took it took me a while to really like appreciate it coming out of um but it all of a sudden, like, oh yeah, and then the, on repeated listenings, I, I got really excited about. Yeah, it. the brass. Right. I wrote it down specifically, like the trumpets. It's real. It's real hero stuff. Yeah, yeah. No, loved it. All right, so Act One. Cisco arrives on the Bajoran station. The Cardassian occupiers who owned it previously trashed it on their way out. Chief O'Brien gives the tour. We see a shot of Quark. Jake doesn't like his quarters. Picard wants to see Cisco. 
Then uh, we arrive on the bridge of Deep Space Nine called the Ops. It's hot because Cardassians like it hot. We meet Kira. She's fiery. She was a resistance fighter in the occupation. The Bajorans have a provisional government. Kira, you know what? Let's let's just go those pieces at a time. So Cisco arrives on the station, and we see, uh, first off, we see the Enterprise docked at the station. That Speak about money on the screen. Oh, mm-hmm. that looks so good. Mm-hmm. So cool. And it just sitting there tells me, like, uh, I'm already psyched for the meeting because I know it's going to happen. What's go- Now we're going to s- – clearly I know who's in that Enterprise. So it's yeah. already setting up a, a cool showdown. And also, if you go back and look at it, look at the size. Because we've talked a little bit on the on the – on the toy show but how giant the enter- the enterprise is absolutely giant but the uh the space station is magnitudes larger than the uh than the enterprise so that's cool all right so cisco shows up uh the place is trashed and uh the cardassians who had previously been occupying both bajor and the station before they got kicked out trashed it on their way out uh w- w- what did you think about the look of it so far? Very cool. And I, I did wonder how they were going to separate the kind of uh, the ship look versus a station look. Um, mm-hmm. Once again, I have right. One thing helping it is I thought the lighting was exquisite. Uh, and so you, once again, you can tell the money through at it because just a- everything was so cool. I thought um, they did a decent job coming in totally clear. They did a decent job of, explaining the sort of geopolitical stakes because mm. i'm not really i don't i know none of the politics really um so that took a little i i felt like i was catching up a little bit but luckily there's sort of universal stakes so especially with what's right. going on right now it it's it clearly was an occupation and now they're taking over and you've got the freedom fighter who's pissed and so it's it's very unique and specific but it's general enough i guess geopolitically that i uh you can catch up to speed pretty quick. Look, yeah, but I mean, ask your question. The look is awesome. Yeah, and you can certainly see the parallels between you know the Cardassians being set up as you know whether it was Germany or Russia or you know a, a reaction to a World War II sort of environment uh, and a brutal occupation. I think that was sort of clear throughout. Um, so uh, who's there to uh, introduce them, give them a tour? But Chief O'Brien now. Mike, now you've only seen a couple of episodes of Next Gen, right? Yeah, I would say a handful. I only know him really through his action figure, and you're you saying he's one of your favorite characters, bar none. Yeah, well, he was Chief O'Brien was uh, and and Colin Medium started on Next Gen as basically a featured extra, then became a secondary character, then a pretty major recurring character as the transporter chief. Um, through the point where we saw him get married to his wife Keiko and um, and became a one of the primary secondary characters on the next generation. And they as they sort of realized what they had in Colomini as an actor, they're like, oh my God, this guy's great. So they decided to spin him off and make him a main character on Deep Space Nine to okay, give him that more really to do. informs that scene with him and Picard later then. Right. Yeah, no, exactly. So he'd been on the Enterprise for years at this point. Um, and they're like, you know, A, you want to tie it to the wildly popular show, <laughs> but also you're you're giving an opportunity to an actor that is just sort of criminally underutilized because it's already a big cast. 
Um, and it's a, I it I thought it was genius to bring to bring Colomini over to be a main character on this. Um, so we see, uh, you know, but he, and he's able to give a lot of exposition from a uh, character that we are familiar with. Uh, of course, we meet Quark for a hot second. Mike, have you seen Ferengis before? Once again, only on our other show. I and yeah. uh, it's both really fascinating the 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 creature design and also s- slightly grotesque, which I think is exactly what they're going for there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in that regard, it works. I kept thinking to myself, I was trying to remember the character if he was like sneaky and underhanded or. But they kind of present them that way, so that's 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 my remembrance. Yeah, well, our understanding of Ferengis up at, to this point are that they are, uh, yes, sneaky, underhanded, very money focused. Uh, they're not the most reliable, but they're also not like the toughest. Um, they're sort of weenery. Uh, whereas at the beginning of Next Gen we thought they were going to be the big bats. We thought they were going to be scary and tough and they were just not because they were kind of silly. So they just sort of leaned into it. Uh, so while Cisco is touring the station, we meet a, uh, a Bajoran priest here and uh, we find out that the Bajorans themselves are a very religious people. Um, and he invites Cisco to come and meet and Cisco's like, no, but you know, we know that we're probably going to come back to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we see Jake uh, and Cisco. They go into their quarters. The quarters suck, uh, and of course, like the Cardassians are very militaristic. They're very sort of draconian. It's not a, really about creature comforts, and for a twelve-year-old, there's not a lot there to like. Um, but uh, that's uh, that's what happens. So we go to ops. We find out, like I said, it's hot. What did you think of the of the ops set? Well, first, I want to kind of call out the symbolism I felt of having our crew inhabit sort of a, a space that's not their own and having to, mm-hmm. uh, uh, what's the word, adapt. Because I think that's also sort of symbolizing it's a new series. We've got, we're trying to, you know, like you said, we're trying to break away from next gen and and establish the feel and the lore of Trek inside of a, in sort of a new space. So I, I kind of, I, I pulled that in. And I felt the same way. And it felt actually very welcoming to me because once again, I don't have the huge back knowledge. And I felt like as a new viewer, they it was mm-hmm. this was is this was them calling out and saying, Hey, we're gonna give fan service, but also you can jump in. So I, I at this point, I it really it really made me feel really comfortable. Yeah. I mean it's and from a writing standpoint, to start your pilot with a fish out of water situation, it's so smart. That's <laughs> it, it's just a it's good pilot writing. Uh, to set all of this up, um, so buddy, we meet. Buddy. We yeah. can take the we can take the lake with us. We can take the lake with us. So we meet Kira, and uh, so she is like we said. She was a resistance fighter in the occupation, and she's fiery and is has been nominally in charge of the station until Cisco shows up. What were your first impressions of Kira? Uh. Fiery, I guess we said it a thousand times, but I, you know, they even foreshadow it right before he walks into the room and meets her. So I thought their first exchange was kind of cool. The power dynamic, dynamic there was really neat, and also this sort of totally foreshadows her how she's going to play that play the end game. So great. I mean, as far as like you said, from a writing perspective, establish what the character is going to be and then reaffirm it through the episode. I feel like great. Yeah, I mean, you know, for 
for for my standpoint on this, knowing what's going to come, I th- I think they in the writing and the direction of it, they just pushed it a little bit. It was yeah. it was a little bit um, overdone, right? Because Kira is a much more complex and layered and 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 subtle character than what we what we see here, and so it's a little bit of a of a pilot trope to like the fiery character has to be screaming when we first meet mm-hmm, them mm-hmm. um so like i was like eh. but it is you know it certainly is good to have that conflict dynamic because we you know we don't have a lot of conflict in next gen uh to have this all right so we go to our next scene she's yelling at the provisional government we uh we see a shot of this guy here on the screen the first appearance of odo is on a screen because he's calling them to investigate a break-in uh and uh we cut to the break in itself and we see our first shot of Nog. So uh, it's a Frankie Child Nog and some nameless criminal dude. Uh, they get caught by none other than a shapeshifter named Odo. He's the sheriff in town and doesn't allow weapons on his promenade. Uh, and we have a little battle here in which we discover, oh, shit, he can turn to goo. Mike, what did what did you think about our shapeshifter Odo here? Uh, I thought it was cool. I thought it was very, instantly I thought of Terminator 2. I was like, all right, this is where special effects are right now. Uh, plus, he, he had shown up in one of our other shows with mm-hmm. zero context. And so I, I knew that he could, like, gooify, but had no, had never, <laughs> never seen it in practice. Uh, it was cool. I, I do, I think, well, maybe we'll talk about it coming up, but like, I was a little, I want to say off put, but I've raised my eyebrows a bit in that, that little kid. I don't know how old they are, but that little dude Nog is going to be used. They're going to hold him in prison as sort of, uh, like blackmail kind of. <laughs> they sure are. Yeah. No, that, that definitely feels like, I was like, that's huh. not hero stuff. That's no, it's not hero stuff. It's, uh, it's. He's yeah, like, I'm going to hold your nephew hostage in, in exchange for you running a casino aboard? Uh, yeah. I mean, you know, from the, if, if you look at it from Cisco's point of view, and we'll, we'll get in, we'll get into it later. Like he's trying to save the community, trying to make it feel like a safe and welcoming and build that. But, uh, you know, holding a child hostage is probably not the coolest way to do that. But, you, you could, know, like, it's the 90s. You can give him a job, I guess, but all right. Yeah. Yeah. That's. That's not how we do this. Anyway, it turns out Nog, the ch- who is a child, uh, can canonically, even though Aaron Eisenberg was was older than that. Uh, turns out he's the nephew of the bar of the owner of the station's bar and casino, Quark. Cisco locks Nog up, but he's only doing it for leverage for something he wants from Quark, and that is the end of Act One. We go to commercial. And uh, we come back for Act Two, which is the uh, oh yeah, there's Nog there. Oh right, and there is a uh, see if I can scroll down a little bit so you can see the obvious stunt man playing <laughs> yeah, yeah. Odo. I got it. I got it. In that, there we go. Oh, we we can't both fix it. I oh, know. Okay, I won't. Touch I'll, it. I'll let I'll let you do it. Uh, okay. But the really good, so really cool creature effect on the <laughs> the nameless alien guy. Uh, working with Nog there, but uh, yep, there's a there's a stunt man. So we uh, they got to they got to eat too. Got to eat too, and obviously you can see both on the stunt man uh, and on Odo Prime that the 
makeup effect for Odo's face would develop as time went on. Um, and there is an explanation for why he looks a little weird, even though he's a shapeshifter. But we're not going to talk about it in this episode. There's more stuff going on. Uh, but as we move forward to... Oh, yeah. So here's here's Quark and his funny nose. That's not his nose. <laughs> um, where we find out... All right. So we get to the shutdown. The, the showdown for Act 2. Cisco meets Picard and he's pissed. Picard says it's important that Bajor join the Federation. Cisco isn't sure he even wants to be in Starfleet anymore. Uh, so a couple of important things that happen he's still pissed. Here. He's still pissed he, that they blew up his girl. Right. No, exactly. And and so Picard, when he finds out that Cisco was at uh, Wolf 359, obviously that's going to bring up some feelings for him too. Uh but uh, Cisco's not exactly making the greatest first impression, saying, I don't really give a shit about this, and I don't necessarily want this gig. Um, but it's important here to set up the stakes of what Cisco is even, what is the Federation even doing taking control of this uh, of the space station in the middle of Bajoran space, which is not a part of the Federation? Well, they want... Bajor to become a matter a, a, a member of the Federation. It's kind of like uh, because of the Cardassians, they basically want Bajor to join NATO. <laughs> they're doing so, a little nation building, Keith. They're doing a little nation building. Um, so uh, that's what Picard is trying to get from you, Cisco. But what, what I thought was kind of cool here, dude, is uh, so even if you're just on the periphery of track, you know who Jean Luc Picard is, right? You're, he's sure. He's pretty well known in pop, in pop culture. And so, and then specifically for those who were fans of Next Gen, here you go and you're going to take the protagonist of your new show and basically put him at odds with a beloved Yeah, hero. That's that's ballsy. Yeah, and have them like hate each other. Yeah, it's ballsy. Like your, your hero. No, it's super ballsy. And I and I I really like that that dynamic there. Um and you know, we see consequences down the road for things that happened on next gen um so anyway we continue meanwhile nog is still in holding and cisco wants quark to keep his bar open to make people feel comfortable staying on the station quark thinks the provisional government will fail and he's he'll be lined up and shot so the stakes here are pretty high for everybody i i think you know quark's quark's point is uh you're here for a second but this this is a really shaky uh, government here, it's probably going to fall. We're all going to die. That's what happens after occupations. Um, so it's not, he's not necessarily wrong. But Cisco offers to trade Nog's freedom for Quark's commitment to stay. Uh, meanwhile, we get a little bit of Odo being suspicious of Quark and sparks flying between those two characters. Um, what did What did you feel about the dynamic between Odo and Quark at this point? Well, I, you know, it's funny. They were trying to set up Quark is very sort of like you said. Um, I don't know. I, I don't, like a gangster kind of almost. Uh, but certainly criminalish. Yeah, but I just felt all kinds of empathy for him because he was put. They were putting the screws to him with his nephew, and like he said, like you said, he's just he, he's he's hesitant to recognize any authority because shit's just gonna crumble and they're gonna be it's gonna be chaos anyway. So I actually felt a lot of empathy for him, Quark. At this or uh, Odo at this point, I, I didn't clearly because it's Rene Ambergenois. I'm on Ambergenois. 
that was pretty good. Yeah, pretty good. I'll take um, it. I felt you know that he's going to be a noble character. It's just I don't know that he can do any anything else. So, but I, I was I didn't know where it was going yet. I didn't I didn't know. So what I what I thought was cool was that what they did what they've done in the opening two beats of the show is just create antagonism and poten- the potential for combustion right away, which is usually tracks a little bit of a slower burn, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So, yeah, no, and certainly like the, they're leaning into the conflict here, which was not the case uh, in the pilot or first couple seasons of Next Gen. So we go to our next scene. Kira is getting her hands dirty cleaning up the promenade. Cisco proves he's not afraid of germs by touching one thing. We learn that the Bajoran's religion is very important, <laughs> like we said, and they are only keeping things, and the only things keeping things together is the Bajoran Pope, essentially, the Kai. Uh, so that's important. Um, yeah, I mean, that that scene and like, you know, Federation, you're not going to touch stuff. And then it's like, I'm going to touch stuff. I thought that was a little silly. You know, uh, it's funny. This, this is where I started to feel like that character, they're, this dynamic. I was like, okay, they're pushing it a little bit. We get it. We got, she's like, let me get some, some pillars. Um, but what I wasn't expecting, but though I should have because of the old dude in the beginning, was she, she, I thought, better than just random old dude in the hallway, uh, set up the religious stakes and how, look, right. you, whether you believe this hooey or not, not you got to get so our Pope on board if there's going to be any unity. So that that kind of clarified for me. I was like, all right, now I know where we're going. Yeah. Well, and it's, and it's setting up, you know, a major theme throughout the whole series. Um, and so, yeah, that's obviously very important. So, uh, so guess what? Cisco heads over to Bajor to meet with Kai Opaka. Um, and uh, we get ourselves a uh, a matte painting here with some pretty cool... I mean, look, it's a matte painting. It's the it's the 90s. It started, that's, that's what they could afford. They couldn't CGI it. But if you watch the, the video back, there's, a, there's some little details in motion in it, which I think mm-hmm. really is really cool. So if you if you go back and watch it, it's on Netflix and Paramount Plus. You can actually see the water shimmering. You can see some birds fly by over the matte painting. It which, looks cool. Uh, it yeah, doesn't it's, look it's, cheesy. Well, I mean, it looks like a matte painting, but it looks like a really good one. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, look, it's Star Trek. It, especially Star Trek in the 90s, you're going you're gonna to have some matte paintings. Um, but some really good incorporation of practical in the foreground and painting and then overlaying it with some motion. Uh, pretty cool. So we meet Kaiopaka. Uh and uh she tells Cisco that the Bajorans believe in a spiritual force called the Pa which she can read for some reason by pulling on somebody's ear. Uh but big news, right? She declares after touching his his ear that holy crap Cisco is the emissary, and they go into a secret bat cave to visit an orb of the prophets, which is a mysterious magical artifact orb that sends Cisco on a journey. So before we get to the journey part, Mike, what what are you what are you thinking here? So the second she started touching him and talking, I was like, "What is going on?" Because uh, it was weird, <laughs> but. Uh, in addition to being weird, I am one of those people. It's just houses, eyes is. Is mm-hmm. when you start get. I have to reread parts of the book, the fantasy book, like six times because I'm like, what's the who, what, the who and the where now? 
the it got the lore got real mushy for me here. Uh, uh, it was weird, but basically the way I summed it up I was like, I she takes him down into this little hole and gives him a fetch quest, a, a, a fetch quest. Okay, right, yeah. So I mean, go get the orbs, is, Keith. Go get me it, some orbs. It, yes. So she says, uh, the uh, we learned that there are nine orbs that appeared in the sky millennia ago. And the Cardassians stole most of them mm-hmm. as they ravaged the planet. The Bajorans believe that the orbs were created by the prophets who live somewhere in a celestial temple. The Cardassians are also trying to find and exploit the celestial tempo, tempo, temple. And Kaiopaka tells Cisco that he is destined to find the temple and become the emissary and gives him an orb to study. So yeah, I mean, there's there's a lot there, right? But we're establishing the religious mythology of the Bajorans. Um, so they believe their god, they're they're polytheistic, right? So they they have gods, and they are the prophets. They live somewhere in a celestial temple, right? And they send these orbs down to help the the Bajoran people, and uh, they have it in their fables that. Somebody is going to find the celestial temple, and that person will be the emissary, which she has decided is Cisco. Because so, because he's got that sweet, sweet ear. Because he's got the sweet, sweet ear. So, uh, yeah. So, uh, so she, uh, yeah. So that happens. Uh, oh, right. We forgot that when 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 he opened the the orb of the prophets, uh, he is magically oh, right. sent. To a beach on Long Island uh, in the past where he creepily hits on a woman who will become his wife. In the smallest of speedos, of little in trunkies. The, <laughs> in the smallest of trunkies. Uh, we, you know, this scene has something for everybody. Uh, and so. This yeah, scene, so... let's be, let's call it, let's be 100% here. This <laughs> scene is one of the weirdest GD things I've ever seen. I'm like, what? is going on the dialogue is weird you want to talk about clunky it's like they're like what would 16 year olds that meet on the beach say to each other but these are clearly not 16 year olds on the beach it just it's it's hooey as hell but i don't want to give too i don't want to get too far ahead but i think it's almost herculean how we go from this scene to where we get to the end at the end that they're able to like connect it emotionally because it ends up working spoiler alert but here I was, this is another time where I'm like, oh no. Oh <laughs> what no, is happening? This, this could be a lot. Uh, so this scene is weird to me, but I get what they're trying to say. And it also sets up the time, the, the whole linear time construct thing. So uh, yeah, but I wanted to I wanted to make sure I pointed that out. Yeah, I, 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 you're not wrong. Not all the screenshots are going to be beautiful either. Uh... We'll get there. It's a work in progress, folks it's never going to get better. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a weird scene, you know, and I, I look at it back through 2022 eyes and like, if I went up to, he's a stranger, he's a stranger and behave all weird like that. Like I'd be like, chase her down the beach with three drinks. Yeah, no, like I'd be reaching for the mace if I were her. So, uh, but also because of the three by four, like, uh, aspect ratio he's all up in her grill that's right like the scenes are like, so close to each other and but here's the thing 
at no point is she like, huh? She's into well, it. Well, right. right. And that and that is the part that strains the most credulity, right? Because he goes in like it, it, it's the the worst cheesiest, like, don't I know you from somewhere? I know we're gonna get married, baby. And yeah. it's like that's so creepy. I yeah, no. I can make I'm a chef. Let me cook you food. We met at a party last night. She's like, No, I don't think we did. He's like, Yes, we did. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, no, no. Yeah. Though so I, I I think uh hard no on uh on Cisco's <laughs> game for that scene. <laughs> But we move on anyway into Act Three, where late at night in Cisco's quarters, we see the first baseball of the series. Baseball is going to be a thing, mm-hmm. uh, and so uh, Kira calls uh, and says something. She says, "Tell Cisco to go to the promenade." And, and they say look. promenade quite a bit. We promenade well, is used liberally. Well, the promenade is what they call the main drag of the station and you'll you'll see in the station itself is sort of it has a circular center there and that's their their main street where okay. all the shops are and all the whatever and it has its multiple levels uh so they call it the promenade it, it sounds a little goofy to call it the promenade but that's what it is mike you're just gonna have to go with it because for seven seasons we're gonna be referencing the promenade okay so just you know take a deep breath it's gonna be fine going to be called the promenade but look quark's bar and casino is officially open and it is hopping uh get the galaxy's greatest drinks dabo tables and underboob uh with some you know i, I look for 1993 me i'm like oh my god underboob it was a big deal uh we get a quick shot of rom who at this point is billed as ferengi pit boss and acts nothing like rom we will know and love later. Uh, but yeah, so we see we see what Quark's bar and uh what what that's uh, what that's all like. What was your impression about it? Uh of it? I'm co- I'm confused because or is it later that they shut it down? Because I, I got confused because I'm like, didn't they ask him to do this? But that's later, isn't it? I'm getting ahead of myself. That's later. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's later. Yeah, uh, bar's cool, man. It's uh I had to live in a casino once for six months, so I uh it spoke to me. You get it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and obviously there's a cantina from Star Wars kind of a feel here. Um, but you, yeah. it allows... Oh, especially when they're playing that little like, ding, 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 they're playing the little... Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, they're doing all of that. Um, but uh, it certainly gives the the makeup effects and costume designers a chance to flex a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. and, you know, and it's going to be... You know, for each of these things that we're seeing, because it's a pilot, we're establishing not only characters, but locations. And these are the, you know, the huge, gigantic sets that they mm-hmm. built for this. So, you know, when you have the the bridge ops, that's a huge set piece. Quark's bar is a huge set piece. And these are all, um, you know, important parts in the promenade itself of the show going on. So it's, it's cool for someone who's seen the show a million times to see the first entrances of all of these major pieces of the show. All right, so moving forward, at the airlock, guess who shows up? Oh, we see some great shots of the outside. We see Dr. Bashir and Dax are arriving here in ill-fitting next-gen uniforms. Our young Dr. Bashir has the hots for Dax, but she's actually a 328-year-old Trill in a new host body. And we find in this that Cisco was BFFs with the old host, 
who was a randy old dude we'll learn more about later and it's only mildly weirded out by the fact that dax is now a young woman so tell me your first impressions of dr bashir and dax here uh you that exactly as it was presented is how i felt i was like uh it, i got all of the dateline nbc uh, to catch a predator vibes when he was like, oh, he doesn't. She he doesn't know that you're a you're a you're three hundred years old, old man. And I was like, well, this is weird. But then it, all the trill stuff we had talked about started coming back to me. And I remember mm -hmm. staying home from school once and seeing an episode where Riker was a trill, or and was like the he trill in Riker uh -huh. was trying to hook up. Yeah, that was the whole that's, thing. That's right. That's right. And that was the episode that established the species of trill which gets a rewrite here for this but okay. that was what we were referring to so and yeah but i but i but i did i did clock that clearly cisco has a lot of faith in the expertise of of um dax dax yeah so and we don't get much about the about the other kid except he's a horny little dude so we'll see <laughs> Well, I mean, what? That's that's what the scene <laughs> Look presents. Here, the kid is a horny little dude. Uh, well, not, not wrong. I mean, <laughs> based on that, based on how he's, how he's shown here, uh, yeah, that's uh, that's basically how it is. Um, but we're going to learn a little bit more about him back at Sick Bay, and we. Uh, <laughs> Mike says he's a horny little dude. I call him an arrogant twit. Okay, well, uh, that's a good start. Where we see him. Uh, sort of be condescending to Kira about calling uh, her home planet the uh, the the Wild West frontier and how he's going to be a genius doctor. Uh, so, yeah, it's not a great first impression for Dr. Bashir. Uh, no, but it does set up a cool, it gives him a, a journey, which is an arc, you yeah. know, which is what you want. It's a pilot. Yep, absolutely. So we go forward. Oh, yeah, so there's Kira uh, putting the arrogant twit in his place. So we go to the science lab, where Dax, now, narrowing, now wearing what looks like the correct uniform, um, rather than a random one off an extra's rack, is studying the orb with Cisco. Don't touch the orb, Dax. Well, she touches the orb. And we get a flashback of the Dax symbiote being transferred between the previous host, Kurjan, and the current host, Jadzia. So, Mike, what did you think of this flashback here? Um, the worm thing is weird. The trails look weird. Uh, they, well, they don't look weird. They make me feel weird. <laughs> I think it's what's important. <laughs> um, and I had a question here cause I don't yes. know it. Does the human retain any consciousness? Like, is, do they make a decision that they, the, are, are the hosts, do they offer themselves or are they, is it like an honor? I remind me how it works. Yes. Well, excellent question. And, uh, because the answer is different in the Next Generation oh. uh, episode that you saw, and the rewrite of the Trills now. In the first appearance of the Trills in the Next Generation, the hosts, the the bodies, lost all of their consciousness. And the the worm, basically, this, the symbiote, had complete control of the consciousness, right? But for, for Deep Space Nine, the rewrite is they share consciousness so that each of the previous host's consciousness merge with each new host as it comes along. So this person has 
seven lifetimes of experiences and seven different personalities within them hmm. all and so the the host has a lot of agency right so it's still so uh the way the name works dax is the symbiote jadzia is the host so her name is jadzia dax um and so oh okay and so it is a great honor and it is something that is that is very competitive to become a host and so jadzia the person adds to her consciousness dax including the consciousness of all the previous hosts so uh yeah it's 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 really interesting and obviously we're going to get into it a lot and learn a lot more about that um but we got to see what curzon looked like before and see how the uh how the worm is turned so to speak uh so moving forward another great shot of that model my goodness uh so we see o'brien back on the bridge of the enterprise d and uh brian who has been working on the station for a while now goes back to say goodbye to the enterprise apparently he had to change back into his old uniform to do it uh not not sure not why that, yeah. uh but uh he has a nice scene with captain picard who is a nice boss yeah, and um, I thought and that even for and I didn't I wasn't really aware of how how much history they had and as I mentioned at the top they were able to really capture it in this scene. You could you could sense a relationship that has developed. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, it's it, it was it was good to have him go back to the old transporter room because he was the transporter chief and most of his scenes were there. Um, you know, it's a little odd to have only Picard say goodbye. But, uh, you know, that's the only next-gen guest star they could afford for this episode. So, uh, you know, Jordy, Data, uh They said goodbye wife. earlier. You missed the second. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Second goodbye. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So you're going to get uh, Patrick Stewart because he's already paid for the day and a speaking extra. All right. So we go on to Act 4. As soon as the Enterprise leaves, in comes dun, 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 the Cardassians and led by none other none other than Gull Dukat, who used to be in charge of the station during the occupation. He seems nice. He's super interested in the orb. Cisco lies and pretends he doesn't know I've about I've never it. seen that orb. Never seen that orb. That poker face. Cis I wrote down in my notes, Cisco's poker face, re-orb, mm, not great. Well, I don't think it was necessarily a poker face. I think they were doing a dance where they both knew they were lying to each other. They were doing a dance I, with some clunky dialogue, buddy. You know, I think I, I think the subtext of like, yeah, that's right, Dukat. What are you going to do? Uh, mm -hmm. But yes, also possibly clunky. <laughs> but uh, so anyway, so we saw the Cardassian ship for the first time. We saw the Cardassian makeup. And like, what did you think about the look of the Cardassians? We've explored that before on the other show, uh, and it's, I, you know, it's funny. I often, because of the screenshots, I'll say on the toy show, wow, I think the model's even cooler looking than the character uh, on screen, but this episode made me think differently because the, I, I wrote, like, how long does it take him to get in a costume, costume makeup, whereas, like, Cisco just to, gets to roll in an hour before we start shooting. This mm -hmm. guy's got to be there probably six hours. Yeah, talk to Michael Dorn. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, no, I mean... They had debuted this on an episode of Next Gen, but I imagine they had already 
started speculating that this might be the essentially the big bads on Deep Space Nine. So they put some effort into the look of the Cardassians, both their uniforms and the makeup and the ship. It looks awesome. But I do um, like even though even though it's like general bad guy stakes, I do like the the feeling of the omnipresent oppressor. Obviously, yes, mm-hmm. Federation's stepping in and we're kind of nation building. Yet that the old conflict has gone nowhere. Yeah, and they're right next door. Yeah, and and they're you know they're a whole part of this. Um, so we see Cisco here in his his new uniform, uh, the actual Deep Space Nine uniform, because we saw him previously in the. Uh, in the traditional Starfleet next gen uniform. Uh, so there's a redesign there, but uh, you know, again, the Cardassian uniform, the detail on that. So cool. So uh, back in the, so, all right. So we, we get a shot of the, uh, the Cardassians are winning lots of money when uh, Kira comes in and shuts it all down. Oh, you know what? I don't have a screenshot for it, but I should point out that there's a scene in the science lab where Dax now wearing the Deep Space Nine uniform. She's been studying Bajoran history for clues into where the Celestial Temple may be. We're on the fetch quest. Uh, she pulls together a bunch of old stories and have a and has a hunch it might be in the Denarius belt. But how can you check it out without the Cardassians finding out? So now we go to Quark's bar. The Cardassians winning a ton of money. When Kira comes in and kicks them all out, shuts it all down. And Quark, in an out-of-character gesture of generosity, offers the Cardassian a bag to carry out all of their gold-pressed latinum. Well, guess what? The Cardassians take the bag back to the ship, and uh uh-oh, the bag dissolves into goo and becomes Odo. So, uh... We do a little little reverse heist here. And uh, what did you think about all that? I mean, 1993 effects aside. I'm glad we went through it again here because I kind of didn't quite understand what was happening. It's now dawning on me that uh, Quark was in on it and was helping out. That's right. That's the part where I was like, oh, this poor guy. They just told him to open a bar. Now they're screwing with him. Uh, But no, I just missed it, I suppose. So actually... Awesome. Now Quark gets to do his superhero stuff. Or Super Odo spy. does. Odo, right? right? Odo, yeah, Odo does. And uh so we have uh so we we go to Dax and Cisco who go out in the runabout, which is their version of the shuttlecraft, is a little bigger, has a warp drive, and they uh do this amazing model work, uh taking it out of the out of the ship here to uh to fly so or out of the space station here. What did you think of that? I mean, the visuals on that. Just so cool. I just kept writing. It's so cinematic. The whole thing uh, just really felt uh, high budget. It looks so good. I mean, because and that's all model work. Yeah, there's, right? something, there's something about practical effect that I, I think most people really love. And I think it's, the, it's that it's tangible. Yeah. Yeah. It, you can tell. You can feel it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, anyway, as they head out, Odo beams back. And, uh, of course, uh, guess what? He sabotaged the Cardassian ship, giving Dax and Sisko a chance to go out and investigate where the Celestial Temple might be. And the runabout heads off in search of the Nenorius Belt. And that is part one of Season 1, Episode 1, Emissary, Part 
one. So uh, what what do you say we head back to 10 forward and like, uh, you know, chat a little bit more about the show in general. What do you say, Mike? Sounds good. Bang. Bang. No, that's that's not the right 10 forward. 10 forward that's would a, be, be this that's one? Our pre yeah, we want our after show. Yeah, yeah. See, we, yeah. we traveled a little bit. We're in a different part of space. The, the uh, you know, Deep Space Nine, it, it drifted a little bit. So, uh, yeah. So, Mike, generally, uh, so at this point, you've watched the first half. Are you horribly confused? Are you interested? Um, it, it, I'm of two minds, to be honest. So, and, and effectively of two minds, because I think mm -hmm. it was clear... Obviously, a pilot has to do all the pilot things. We have to meet all these new people. We have to kind of get a feel for the, the desires of each of these people. But then also you need something pulling the episode along. And that's where I actually found I was interested in the sort of the orb lore. Yes, it's a fetch quest, mm -hmm. but clearly the orbs have some sort of metaphysical power, the, thus the flashbacks and mm -hmm. such. And I thought it was really neat how they were able to tie clearly tie the Cisco sort of emotional journey to this uh, orb journey and not have it feel uh, disjointed as much. Yeah. I, I actually, am, I want to know more about what happened because one of my biggest, my notes here I thought was I was being funny in the beginning was, oh, this poor Jennifer character, it's a pile of a new show and she's dead in the first three seconds. Right. So I'm glad that we're getting to see kind of, we're getting to build, she's getting to be a part of the acting of the scenes where we, understand her importance to the character right but also clearly we have to see this metaphysical thing through uh this spirit religious journey uh in order to i think get here aboard as well as uh it, that's what i'm feeling i'm feeling i, I like it all and I'm, I'm invested in fact i didn't even like there was no pause i rolled right into the second half so yeah all right so at, at this point in our regular episode uh we would finish with an episode rating and Mike's imaginary pitch for the next episode. But uh, since we're, it's, it's only part one, we're ha only halfway through. Let's just do Mike and Keith's favorite moment from the first mm. half uh, before we uh, hop over to part two. Uh, okay. Why don't you go first? Well, cause I got to think through it and you probably already thought. Oh yeah. You, you, you'd say that, but no, I, I think for me, um, Certainly, seeing the Battle of Wolf 359 again from a different angle, that's super awesome. Um, you know, Odo shape-shifting, you know, the little heist at the end is really fun. Um, but for me, I think it is the scene between Cisco and Picard, right? Because uh, obviously you have two Titans, you know, a, a Titan we know and a Titan we know is coming together and the fact that they were able to create conflict between the two of them it was exciting to watch them exciting to watch those two incredible actors go head to head a little bit and uh it felt like a great guide into the show uh taking my hand and uh making me excited about it so you know and i i don't want this to say my favorite part about the deep space nine pilot is the enterprise right it's not that it was the fact that we learned about Cisco's reaction to trauma and willingness to confront uh, Picard and and how and how sort of broken and lost he is at the beginning of this and being able to see that. So that's my favorite moment. 
Uh, I agree. I, I mentioned I mean, when I was watching it, I was thinking like, this is like an acting challenge. If you were to give me and you a scene, Keith, let's say, and mm-hmm. then inject us both with Botox, like over inject us with Botox so that we could not facially move our face. I'm really uh, curious where this is going. Because could we still get the lines and the intention across? Because in that scene where I'm going with this is both Picard and Cisco, the actors, performers, and I guess the characters as well, don't move at all. They just stare at each other. There's no yeah. chewing the scenery. There's no facial articulation. They're just, it's all intention and weight. And it's so awesome. And I agree with you. I think it's the best moment of the show. But I'm also going to shout out since we're here. Okay. And I like No, we're here. The show shoots itself in the foot in some spots where it, like that, that weird, that weird uh, beach scene. So I want to point yeah. that out too as a low light, but also. Can you somehow go from that and like make it make sense by the end, which I pitched earlier, I'm pitching it again. The fact that they they do it for me uh, makes this important because what what is a jump if there's no hurdle to jump over, Keith? Yeah, fair enough. So there it is, uh, you know, Avery Brooks and Patrick Stewart. Uh, I, I, I feel like I should be introducing who the actors are, but like if you're watching this, you you know, we'll, we'll be talking about them a lot. Well, if you have enjoyed part one of our pilot here, uh, you can oh, hop over in two spots. Okay, I got oh yeah, you. yeah, yeah. You can hop over to part two. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna release them at the same time, so it's okay. already here. Don't worry. Uh, but in the meantime, do us a huge favor, uh, Mike. Tell them what to do if they enjoyed our little nonsense here. We should have planned this. Listen. It's more fun when you're watching. Uh, come on this journey with me. Come on this journey with us. Very easy way to help us out currently. Will we ask for money? Yes. Eventually we will. But right now, we don't have the, the wherewithal to do so. So just like down below. If you could subscribe, that'd be awesome. Hit the notification bell so you know when the next video drops. Uh, watch our other show about Star Trek toys. It's right here on the channel. Can't miss it. If you, in fact, if you subscribe, I think you get both. And, That's right. Uh, that's it, right? Oh, and That's comment it. below. Let's have a let's yes. have a dialogue going. Will there be a Discord? I think so, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Please like, subscribe, comment. We can't wait to chat with you about it on the comments below. And uh, you know, till then, this has been Keith and Mike. Watch Deep Space Nine. We will see you with part two, and we're gonna go the whole series. So there's gonna be a lot here on the feed. Oh, don't we dare will. us. We'll do it. We'll do we'll it. We'll do it. We're gonna do it. Thank you for watching KME Entertainment. If you enjoyed our particular brand of nonsense, please like and subscribe.